This morning, we open God's Word. And I want to just talk about that for a quick second with you. God's Word is infallible. Amen if you agree that with that. God's Word is infallible. It is without error. God's Word is perfect. It is profitable. It is at times hard to understand. Amen? I am a man. It is my job, according to James chapter 3 and verse 1, to handle this word very carefully because James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I do not preach to you for you, my audience, this morning. I preach to an audience of one this morning. It is His word. I don't say that to disrespect you, but I answer to God and God alone for the preaching of the word. If I'm preaching it in air, I answer to you. I would hope you would hold me accountable. My desire for you is that you would be like the believers in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11. These Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. Are you eager this morning to receive the word? Or are you eager to find fault? Are you eager to receive the word? They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. That's your responsibility. Aaron, Paul, Andy, and Dan are charged with preparing to stand in this pulpit, which is a sacred obligation, to preach to you the Word of God. You are charged with the task of being eager to receive it and to search the Scriptures as to whether those things are so or not. I think it's important that we remember these things. Because there's times we come to the Word of God and we have to deal with uncomfortable subjects. I'm just going to give you an alert this morning. Uncomfortable subject day. <laughs> We're dealing with circumcision. Yay! Like, you're really going to deal with it? It's in the Bible. Yeah. We're going to deal with it. We're going to deal with it. Some of you are like, oh man, I picked the wrong day to not go to some kind of Christmas family gathering. So turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17 this morning. Genesis chapter 17. As you're turning there, I want to just remind us that last week we saw in Genesis chapter 16, Abram and Sarai came up with this plan, if you will, to kind of help God along with his plan. Have you ever been guilty of trying to help God along with his plan? Here, God, here's what we're going to do to help you. And that never usually works, does it? Never usually works when we make a plan up to try to help God with his plan. And so the plan was that they were going to substitute Hagar, Sarai's handmaid, her, her servant girl, to, to be a surrogate mother for this promised child that God had promised. There was only one problem with those details, and the problem was this. Was that God's plan? No, it wasn't God's plan at all. And so 
we, we still today, as I pointed out, we're still bearing the fruit of that. <laughs> Deal with conflicts in the Middle East, that's, that goes back to Hagar and Sarah. And we're still dealing with those things today in the world. But I want you to look at the, va- the last verse of chapter 16. We're going to do a little math this morning. I hope, you, I hope you can do this with me, a little simple math. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Ab- Abram. Now go to 17.1. When Abram was 99 years old. Okay, here we go. Math time. 99 minus 86 is what? 13. Very good. You passed the math part of this class this morning. 13 years passed between those two chapters. 13 years. And I want you to think about that with me. That's, that's 13 years since the angel of the Lord has spoken. And now God himself is going to address Abram. 13 years. Go back 13 years in your life. Some of you sitting in this room can't even go that far back. 13 years. Go back 13 years in your life. And imagine that 13 years ago on this very day, you heard the voice of God talking to you, and you have not heard from God since. Can you imagine that? That, that's hard for us because, honestly, people, if, if we are willing to do it, we can pick up and hear the voice of God at any time, can't we? Abram's gone 13 years. Now, I want you to think about that. That's 13 years of waiting. 13 years of waiting for something that God has promised. That, that's 13 years of knowing God's promise and not having it fulfilled. How many of you honestly would be getting a little bit discouraged at that point? How many of you would be doubting at that point? I would be. That's 13 years of watching Ishmael grow up. A lot changes in 13 years. How many of you had 13-year-old boys or had 13-year-old boys? They're just really unreasonable. Can I just be honest? That's 13 years also of Abram and Sarai getting older. Okay, the promise seemed far-fetched when Abram was 86. Does it seem even more far-fetched now that he's 99? Yeah. But it's 13 years that were not wasted. It was 13 years of God preparing Abram for the next step. I say this to you this morning as we begin. God never wastes time. He never wastes time. You and I look at circumstances and things, and you and I are good at wasting time, are we not? We're really good at it. God does not waste a second. This 13 years of waiting is all a part of God's plan. And so this morning we come to Genesis chapter 17. Hopefully you got your Bible out. We're going to read the whole chapter this morning. Genesis 17, verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Circle that. We're going to come back to that. That's where we're going to pick up when we begin to to unpack this, that I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. 
Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations, This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, she shall not, be call, she shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah will, shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give, her, her, or will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house are bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Father, work in our hearts now. If our hearts were not eager to receive the word before, make them eager now. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it means so much to us today. It matters. The words of Genesis 17 matter to us today. And I pray that you would make them come alive in our heart, spirit, that we would understand them, that we would learn from them, that we would benefit from them. We pray this morning in Jesus' name, amen. If you have 
the King James Bible, in verse 4 of chapter 17, it says, as for me. God talking about himself, saying, here's what I'm going to do. And then if you look, if you look down at verse 9, even when probably in most versions that you have, it says, as for you. And, and so God here is dealing here with a two-part kind of, of, of tale with, with Abraham. And the first part is, here's what I'm doing, and here's what you're going to do. But as God says, here's what I'm going to do, go back up to that word I had you circle, or those words in verse 1. God reveals himself in a new name now. This is the first time this name of God is mentioned in the scriptures. I am God Almighty. Now, I'm going to do something here that's probably going to get me in trouble with some of you, but, but I'm an old, old guy, and I used to like the music of Amy Grant. Compromiser, she was terrible, and like, I don't care, I liked her music. She sang a song called El Shaddai. How many of you remember that song? Yeah. That's the name right here. El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. You say, okay, what does that mean? What's the importance of that? What, why, do, why do you point that out? Because this name specifically refers to two qualities of our God that he wants Abram who's soon to be Abraham, to know. And these are, these are important for us when we're clinging to the promises of God. Do you ever find yourself clinging to the promises of God? Maybe it's not been a 13-year wait, but you're just wondering, God, when are you going to answer? When are you going to keep your promise here? When we're in that state, when we're waiting for God to keep his promise, we need to know that he is God Almighty, that he is El Shaddai. And the two things that he's pointing out to us, number one is his omnipotence. Our God is all-powerful. There is nothing our God cannot do. He's all-powerful. But it's more than just his power, it's his sovereignty as well. What do we mean by his sovereignty? Well, what we mean by his sovereignty is our God does as he pleases. It doesn't matter what you and I think he can do or can't do or what we want him to do or don't want him to do or whatever kind of box we try to fit him in with our limited human understanding. You and I cannot fit God in a box and we need to stop trying. He is sovereign over all. He does as he pleases. Honestly, that confuses us at times, doesn't it? Doesn't it, church? God does some things that I'm like, you know what? I don't think if I was orchestrating history, I would have put an Adolf Hitler in there. Anybody else with me on that? God does what God does. He's sovereign over all. You and I can't control God. And here we have a God who makes things happen by means of his majestic power and his might. And I want to tell you, when you and I are clinging to the promises of God and it gets blacker and blacker and bleaker and bleaker, we need a God who is all-powerful, who is going to do what he does and accomplish what he says he's going to do. And that's what we have here. And that's what God is saying to Abram. And he says, I'm... I want you to do something, Abram. Right there in verse 1, I want you to walk before me. In other words, this is a relationship. You and I are going to be in relationship. I am looking at you. You're looking at me. You're walking before me. This almighty God desires relationship. Does it ever blow your mind that God would want a relationship with, with the puny little creation that he's made? It, it, it should be unfathomable to, 
unfathomable to us. This God desires relationship with us. And he says, walk before me. In other words, be in front of my face. I want to see you, but you're going to walk and I want you to be blameless, without blemish. And then he goes through and he reiterates the covenant beginning in verse 3. And, and, and this is something that we've seen already before, but, but there's some new things that he reveals. For instance, go down to verse 6. He reveals this, not only are you going to be the father of nations, but kings are going to come from you. Kings are going to come from you. I got to believe this verse right here is ringing in, in Matthew's ears as, as the Holy Spirit is giving him the, the, the beginning of Matthew chapter 1. Remember, it's the genealogy of Jesus, but it's the kingly line of Jesus. And you know where that genealogy starts with? It starts with Abraham. It starts with Abraham, and then it names the two most important kings in all of Israel's history, King David and King Jesus. Abraham's going to be the father of kings. But he gets a name change, doesn't he? In verse 5, he gets a name change. Many times in Scripture, you'll see people's names get changed. It's not like the way dorks in our society change their name. Okay? Not going to even go into that. But I mean, you know, idiot entertainers, they change their name all the time because the old name wasn't selling as well, so they got to come up with a new one, right? No, when, when you see a name change in Scripture, many times it represents a transformation of character and of destiny, and that's what's happening here with Abram. He's now Abraham. That means he's the father of many nations. Abram used to mean, or meant, exalted father. He's not just the exalted father. He's the father of many nations. Notice who does the changing of the name. It's not, it's not Abram like, you know, I need, a new, I need a new tagline here. No, God sovereignly changes his name. You're not Abram anymore. You're Abraham because I am going to make you the father of many nations. And so he's going to be the father of many nations. He's going to have kings that come from him. And then there's one last thing I want you to see that God reveals to him in verses 7 and 8. This is going to be an everlasting covenant. Do you see it there? It's not going to end. It's not going to end. So, so look up here for a second. When God says the covenant's not going to end for all of eternity, does he really mean that, church? Yeah. You sure about that? Yeah. So he says everlasting, he really means everlasting? Yeah, he does. And, and, and that's promise for you and I because remember last week we saw and the week before we saw you and I are a part of this covenant if we are in Christ. We are the adopted sons, the grafted in sons of Abraham. God's going to keep his covenant with us. But look down to what he requires of Abraham now. As for you, verse 9, here's your part to keep, Abraham. And I'm sure Abraham, if you're like me, is just kind of on the mountaintop. He's changed my name. He's done all this stuff. And then God just drops this really heavy thing on him. Here's your part, Abraham. You and every male that's, that's in your household, you're all getting circumcised. Say, what? Yes. You're going to be circumcised. Now, you and I, we don't think about it very much unless we have a son who's born to us, right? We don't think about that. This was not 
the first time in, in all of human history that circumcision was practiced. It, it wasn't a completely new practice, but now it's becoming an identifier. Now it's becoming an identifier. The offspring of, Abram, of Abraham, the men of Abraham's household, they're going to all be identified in this way. Abraham's now associated with circumcision. I want you to think about this. Remember God promised that, that the child was going to come from Abraham, right? <laughs> this is an act of faith on Abraham's part to be circumcised, because I don't want to be gross here, but I just want to point this out. This involved Abraham's means of procreation, did it not? This is an act of faith for a 99-year-old man to go through. And it required God or Abraham's dependence on God to fulfill his promise. And there's a spiritual element to this. There's a spiritual element. In every covenant that God makes, there's a sign. Whenever God made the covenant with, with Noah, what was the sign that he gave? The rainbow, right? What was the sign that he gave with the law, which was a covenant? Well, with Moses, excuse me, I just gave it away. It was the law. The law was the sign of the covenant, was it not? And so now, and now, this covenant with Abraham is something really, honestly, quite personal, isn't it? There's a spiritual side to this. Keep your finger here and look to Deuteronomy with me. Because God's going to refer several times in the Old Testament through. We're just going to look at one this morning because we don't have time. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, here, here's what God says about this. He's talking about Israel now. And, and what happens when Israel strays? Because we know that if you know anything about, about, the, about the history of Israel, they strayed over and over, did they not? They sinned. And here's what he says. Verse 1, And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord God has driven you, you return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey His voice and all that I command you today with all your heart, with all your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and He will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of, from, of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there He will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it, and he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, with all, and, and that you may live, excuse me, and the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you. Notice, God talking in a spiritual way to Israel, says this, that, that we're, I'm going to cut away your sin and you're going to be cleansed. That's what I'm going to do. And circumcision is a picture of that. Go back to Genesis chapter 17. How serious is God about this circumcision thing? Because I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just putting myself in Abraham's shoes. If I hear this from Abraham, I'm starting to think of loopholes, maybe a medical loophole or something. Men in the room, are you agreeing with me? There's got to be another way to do this, right? There's got to be another sign. You know, how about a big giant tattoo? I love God. God's pretty explicit here. Look at verse 14. 
How serious has God taken this? Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. One of the bad raps that faith in Christ gets is, is that it's so exclusive. Well, here's the thing. If God is really the sovereign God, does he have the, not the right to say how things get done? Church, does he have the right to say how things get done? Yeah. Jesus is the way, right? <laughs> the way you're going to be the, show the sign of the covenant here is you're going to be circumcised. If you don't, you're cut off. You're cut off. So God takes this very seriously. You're outside the promise then. We got to fly. We got to fly. Sarah gets a new name. What's interesting though is her new name means the same thing as her old name. <laughs> it's a reaffirmation. Sarai means princess. Sarah means princess. What are princesses known for? What kind of children do princesses have? They have future kings, don't they? And God's just affirming, yes, kings are going to come from her. He says that in verse 16. But I want to hone in for just a few minutes on Abraham's response here. Abraham's response is really interesting. He falls on his face, okay? He falls on his face before God. That's a great start. Would you agree with me? Verse 17, Abraham fell on his face and he laughed and he said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Now, I've read a lot of commentators this week on this. And they have ranged from the fact to the, like, that Abraham was total disrespecting God here to all the way down here, like this doesn't mean anything. God put it in the Word. It has to mean something, right? How many of you ever heard something from God or you've seen God do something in such a way that it just blew you away and all you could be was like, <laughs> I cannot believe you're doing this, God. Amen. I've been there many times. I feel like I'm there right now in my life, quite honestly. This is not an act of disrespect, and I think I can back that up from Romans chapter 4. Keep your finger here and go with me to Romans chapter 4, because Paul gives commentary on what's happening right here. He's talking about Abraham, verse 13 of chapter 4, for the promise to Abraham, okay? I don't have time to read this whole section, but I want you to slip down with me to go down to um, verse 18. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, so he has been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which is good as dead since he was about 100 years old. He's talking right about this time right here. He, he did not, he considered his body as good as dead. Abraham is like, <laughs> I'm an old dude, God. And if you're going to do this, I don't know how you're going to do this, but all I can do is just chuckle. Keep going. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Folks, we need the faith of Abraham. Fully convinced that God can do as he promised. That laughter that Abraham has back in chapter 17 and verse 17 is not laughter of doubt. It's just laughter of like, I don't know how you're going to do this. In verse 18, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. 
He's saying this, are, are you sure, God, that, 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 that you just don't want to use Ishmael? And God finally just says, hey, Abraham, no, the dream's dying, okay? Done, over. Verse 19, no, but your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. Now, now he even knows what he's going to call this son. Isaac means laughter. And that has double meaning because we're going to find out that when Sarah, when she hears this promise from God, she laughs. And her, her laughter gets rebuked by God, doesn't it? Abraham's laughter doesn't get rebuked. Her laughter is a different laughter. Her laughter is like, you're crazy, God. Abraham's laughter is, I can't believe you're doing this, God. This is just too, too amazing. But every time they called their son by name, they're reminded that God is the God who makes me laugh. It's not disrespectful to say that, people. There are times that God does things that all you can do is just sit back and just laugh about it. God makes some promises about Ishmael. He's going to have 12 princes. He's going to have 12 sons, and he did. But the covenant is going to be with Isaac. The covenant is going to be with Isaac. And he also gives the specific time. Do you see it there in verse 21? I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Now, now Abram has a time now. Okay? I've been waiting 13 years. I can, I can wait just one more. I can wait just one more. But I want you to see Abram's, Abraham's response to this. Verse 23. Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those. As soon as God, verse 22, leaves him, Abraham goes right into motion. He doesn't delay. He does it all in a day. What a day that must have been. I mean, let's just think about it. Every man under the household of Abraham, there's not enough ice in the Middle East to help these guys out. They're all walking around and are very painfully reminded of what it means to be under the covenant here that God has established. But notice that Abraham does it all the way. He, he does it immediately and he does it completely, doesn't he? And there's a lesson in there for us. There's a lesson in here about obedience. What does obedience look like? True obedience is done immediately in response to a command. It's done completely, and it's done without complaint. Let me say that again. You know what obedience looks like? God honoring obedience? It's done immediately in response to the command. It's done completely, and it's done without complaint. Fathers, look up here. If you let your children get away without obeying completely, immediately, and if you let them complain, you are teaching them wrong obedience. I'm not saying that as a man who is perfect in that. I stunk. But here's the thing. If you want your children to obey God, fathers, do you want your children to obey the voice of God? Do you, fathers? Grandfathers, do you want your grandchildren to obey the voice of God? Then you teach them to obey immediately, completely, and without complaint. That's the kind of obedience that God expects. Why? 
Because God is a holy God and he wants his people to be set apart. That's what circumcision is all about. They're being set apart, right? They're being set apart. And, and here's the thing. Not everybody who was a part of this circumcision turned out to be the real deal. Ishmael did not turn out to be a true son of the promise, did he? He didn't turn out to be a true son of the promise. We'll find out more about him as we go through Genesis. Circumcision was God's way of identifying and God's people to identify that they're set apart. And here's the thing, God is still holy and his demand on us is that we be holy, is it not? The problem is we can't be holy. Abraham couldn't be holy either. He was justified by faith, remember that? <laughs> he, was, he was declared righteous by faith. Circumcision was just the sign. And you say, what does that mean for us today? I'm so glad you asked. One last place to go to. Got to fly. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 11 talking about what happens when we're in Christ, okay? If you go back up to verse 6, therefore as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. You don't have time to unpack all the verses in between there, but verse 11, in Him, in Christ, also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Understand this, church. You and I can't make ourselves holy. Christ had to make us holy. And that's what he did when he cut off, when he cut off that flesh, when he cut off that sin, and by putting away of the flesh and the sins of the flesh. And what's interesting is that as he goes on with this now, look at verse 12. Paul then talks about a new way that we're identified with Christ now in the New Testament. Do you see it there in verse 12? Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. We don't practice circumcision as a sign of the covenant. What do we do today for those who, who are professing faith in Christ and a desire to walk with him? What do we do with them, church? We baptize them. How cool is it that we get to baptize two people today? Maybe God knew what he was doing when he got us on this plan here, right? We're going to baptize two children today. Not because that water that's in the horse trough in the fellowship hall is going to save them. It's just tap water from Johnstown, which doesn't save anybody. They're being identified if you will, it's kind of like a sign of the covenant, isn't it? It's an identification. You know, we all need to be circumcised. We need to have the flesh cut off, don't we? We need to have the sins of the flesh cut off. We need to be set apart to God. We need to be identified. And that's what, that's what Christ does for us. And so, that's why circumcision, if we don't have Genesis 17 in the Bible, we don't understand Colossians chapter 2, do we? We don't understand the significance of it all. We've had to fly through it, and I hope you've been able to keep up. If you have questions about this this week, I know I flew. Send me an email. Give me a phone call. We'll talk it through, okay? I think we're going to sing one song. Is that the plan?
We're going to sing one song, and I know some of you have to leave, but as many of you as can stay, I would encourage you to stay. Immediately after that song, we're going to go right to the fellowship hall, where we're going to baptize, baptize two children this morning, okay? So I'm going to head over there, get ready. We're going to sing a song, and then I'm going to ask you to quickly make your way into the fellowship hall.